All right, all right, all right. Man, it is good to be here on this Sunday morning. It's good to stand here on this stage, and it's great to be filling in for our pastor who is on a much-needed family vacation. And my man Bryce Beasley told me the other night that he's going to be streaming this service all the way from Galveston. So shout out to my guy Bryce, a.k.a. the Blob Rocket Man, a.k.a. the Lazy River Wave Maker, all right? And shout out to my family for being in the room and being on the stream as well. And shout out to Jesse Polly. Man, uh, I don't know if y'all realize this, but every year, man, we have a Christmas staff party and Christmas came in July, all right? Man, we drew each other's names and he got me this amazing preaching towel, all right? It says Rev on it, all right? Uh, a little too small for the shower, but definitely for the sweat, it'll work, all right? And, and so I'm utilizing his gift because it's the month of July and I bought his gift back in November, but it just now got delivered in the month of July, all right? And so Christmas in July for both of us, so that's great. And then shout out to all my Ridge students, not just those who are serving on stage and those that are serving up in the balcony and behind the scenes, but really shout out to every one of those students that looked the pandemic in the face and asked it, do you even yak, bro? All right, man, uh, to all the students out there, man, shout out to y'all because y'all didn't zone out during the pandemic, but instead you zoned in and shout out to all the students who submitted scripture verses week after week to encourage each other, to the students who stepped up and they led worship and they taught lessons and they streamed them online for the people, even though we couldn't meet together, we could still meet together. Shout out to the students who were willing to set up shepherding groups and reach out to one another, sending text messages to one another and calling each other. And then shout out to the 50 plus students that are going to be getting together this coming weekend like Clay already asked you to pray for. And I'm going to continue to ask for you to pray and join us in prayer this week for what we're calling Uncommon Weekend. Man, basically we're coming together for a common goal but to form an uncommon community. Man, we're asking people not to blend in, but instead stand out, not to be different for different sake, but instead to model their lives after Jesus Christ and utilize their differences in Christ to make a difference in the world around them. And so that right there is Uncommon Weekend in a nutshell. So shout out to all those students because y'all are the reason that a Sunday like this can happen. Y'all are the reason that makes a Sunday like this so special. And I believe that the wave that started in our student ministry during this time of pandemic will not be crashing soon. Instead, man, I believe that it's only going to keep on getting bigger because I believe that this generation is the one that is going to be able to pave the way for the greatest revival that this world has ever seen. Man, it's happening. I hope you're ready for it, all right? And it's happening right here in our church. And so again, like I've already said, church family, please join me in praying all throughout this week for this upcoming weekend that we're calling Uncommon Weekend. Please pray that the things that happen this weekend don't just stay at Sabine Creek Ranch, but instead that the momentum that God is able to spark I pray that he would continue to build upon, and I pray that lives would continue to be changed, and our church would continue to be different because of it, and I pray that Jesus will set a fire in every soul that is present this weekend, and that that 
spark would influence the schools that they attend. It would change the groups of friends that they hang out with. Man, their sports teams and all different extracurriculars would be different all across our city and in the surrounding communities. That's my prayer. Man, like it says on the screen, the youth will win. The movement is just beginning. And so I pray that you would ask God to keep our staff, to keep our students, to keep our volunteers and our leadership safe at Uncommon Weekend. But I ask that you pray for more than just safety because we want more than that. We're greedy in that way. Man, we want God to do something so big this coming weekend that it's something that only God can take credit for. None of us can take credit for it. Man, we want so much more. Man, we want God to not only start this way, but we want him to kickstart this way that not just changes Greenville, but ends up changing the world. And why do we think it happens? Because we know that scripture is clear in Matthew 19, and it says, with men it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. That's why we know it can happen. And so the reason why I bring that to y'all's attention today is because I want to speak not only about the students today, not only about youth today, but I also want to be speaking to our entire church family today. But most of y'all can understand because y'all can relate. Maybe you've said this, but if not, you probably heard it been said that students are the leaders of tomorrow. Well, I'm sorry, I'm not waiting till tomorrow. Man, we live in a society that has set up a system where age and experience determines if someone's idea is accepted. And so how can a teenager have something that's valuable to say? How can a teenager bring something of value to the table because they've never been to college? They don't have a degree. How can a teenager do something that can flip this world upside down because they're just young? They're just a teenager. They probably think they already know it all. They told us that they know it all. So how in the world could God do something with a teenager who has little to no real world experience? Here's the thing. Just like that first song, man, I believe that he's willing to do it because I've seen him do it. And I believe that he's willing to do it again and again and again. Far too long, we've accidentally told a generation of passionate young people to wait till it's their turn to make an impact. Oh, man, you want to do something for Christ? That's cool. Man, let's wait until after you graduate high school. Oh, man, you want to do something impactful for your school? Well, let's go through these classes. Let's get you trained up. And then after you've done all these things and we're giving you this certificate, then maybe you can do something to impact your world. More often than not, young people are overlooked. They're passed up. They're not given a chance. But that's our culture. That's not this church. Because when I say those things, those don't even match up with the church that I serve at. Because the church that I serve in loves our students. Me and y'all pour into our students out of the overflow of what the Spirit is doing in your life. You pour into their life, and then in turn, they are changing other people's life. And it's amazing to watch it happen. It's amazing to be a part of it. And so here's the thing. Man, I believe that it can happen. And even though sometimes students get overlooked, man, that's exactly who Jesus handpicked to carry out the gospel and to move that message forward. And so I want to say today that age 
does not determine influence. It doesn't. Students, if you hear me, hear that. Church family, if you hear me, hear this. Today, I want to remind us all that we are called to a higher standard as Christ followers. And we are called so that way we could be example to other Christ followers in the way that we speak, in the way that we live, in the way that we love, and in the way that we serve. Does anybody hear me? Man, we are called to be an example for others to see. We are called to be a lighthouse so we can shine that light so bright for somebody in our community that is headed towards shipwreck, instead of crashing, they will see that light of Christ and they will be put on the right path. And so today, man, I want to ask everybody here today to just turn, tap, or scroll their way to the book of 1 Timothy, all right? There's two of them. They're they're like, you know, they're back to back. There's one and then there's the second one. We're going to be in the first one, and I'm just going to be honest. I'm just going to be honest, all right? I got a little typo, and so sometimes on the, on, on the screen, you'll just see Timothy, all right? But just note that it's coming from 1 Timothy, all right? That's just a typo. I'm just going to tell you I'm real, all right? And, and, and so here's the thing. For context, as you flip your way over to 1 Timothy, we're going to be in chapter 4, and we're going to look at the 12th verse in the 4th chapter. But for context, I want to let you know a little bit about what's happening in this book. Man, in 1 Timothy, Paul, the apostle, is advising his young suitor, Timothy, on how to handle uh, an extremely difficult situation because at this time, Timothy is being sent into the church of of Ephesus to be able to address the areas of concern within this church, all right? It's not like our church. They have problems, all right? And, and, and so Timothy was going in there to, re, to, to kind of correct some of these problems, kind of, you know, speak about these misteachings and redirect it on the right path. And here's the thing. It is no doubt that this was an overwhelming task because you understand, if you know the context, Timothy was way younger than many of the people that he would be advising. Man, it's also probably easy to note that he probably had way less experience than most of these people that he was going to be correcting. And sometimes that is so difficult to be in that role. He was not called by these elders, but he was called to correct these elders of this church. And even though he probably had butterflies in his stomach, even though his knees were probably wobbly at the tasks that had been put before him, even though he probably thought that this was going to be tough, man, it was not concerning to God because God understood that this was exactly where he wanted to utilize Timothy. So it didn't catch God offhand. And so what we see in others is not what God sees. Man, when we look at people, we see them differently than how God sees them. In fact, man, what we see in ourselves is not what God sees because we have the limitation of only being able to see what's on the surface, but God is able to penetrate and see what's inside. God is able to see the hearts of the individuals. And so God is not concerned with age or experience, 
but he's concerned with our conduct, with our love, with our faith, and our purity. And so, man, in reading God's Word, I want to ask you, give me a little hooty hoo if you're there. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. And I want us to listen to the five-fold advice that the Apostle Paul gives to this young Timothy. He says in verse 12, Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way that you live, in your love and in your faith and in your purity. I'm going to read it one more time. Don't let anyone look down on you. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. But instead, be an example to all the believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, in your faith, in your purity. This is a message for the students. This is a message for the old heads. This is a message for the young heads. This is a message for everybody. Paul tells Timothy not to let anyone look down on him because he's young. And, and, and here's the thing. Man, age is relative. Man, it's thought to be said that he, Timothy, is probably in his 30s, but yet he's having to correct people that are twice his age, maybe in their 60s or in their 70s. And so there's some people, if I ask any one of our students what they think it would feel like to be in their 30s, they'd be like, oh my goodness, how would I know that's so old? Oh my gosh, I'll never get there. But there's some of us in here that we say the word 30 and it's like, wow, I remember what that was like. <laughs> Man, those were the good old days. Whoo, it's been a while. It's been a minute, all right? Maybe I can go back. Nope, 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 you can't, all right? But here's the thing. Paul tells Timothy not to let anybody look down on you just because you're aged, but the principle extends further beyond just age. And that's why this message is not just for the students, but it's for anybody that's in the room. It's for anybody that has ears to hear because the broader message is that God has a plan for us no matter our perceived limitations. It doesn't matter what limitations we think we have, God still has a plan for us as Christ followers, as believers. We are called specifically to pursue God's will above anything else. And that's over our own gain and our own selfish desire. We are to pursue God's will. And this means that no matter our situation, we don't have an excuse. In fact, we're without excuse when it comes to saying yes to what God puts in front of us. As long as there's still breath in our lungs, God's not done. As long as we're still breathing, God's not finished with us and the task can still be done. Man, I've seen this happen. Man, I've seen this live out in our church. Man, I've gathered with the elders and we've been in somebody's living room and we've put hands and we've offered prayer and even though in some weird way, maybe that's a blessing for them, but I've been blessed because I've heard testimonies from people who I would say, man, they've been there, they've done great things, and it's amazing. I want to champion for them, but they're not done. They're still champion for Christ. As long as there's breath in their lungs, God is not done. And he gives this advice to this trembling Timothy he gives this advice to build him up, and he says, if you really want to make it in ministry, Timothy, 
If you really want this thing to not crash, if you want this thing to be successful, Timothy, then here is some classic advice. Do these five things. And the reason why I say it's classic advice is because when we unpack these five things, man, it's classic for every single person who finds them in a ministerial role to try to walk these out. But here's what's great. It's also classic advice for anyone who wants to have a ministry heart. Too many times I think that we sit in a pew and we tune something out because we say, oh, that's not for me. In fact, this message is for everybody. And so I want you to ask yourself, not out loud, but just ask yourself eternally, are you and do you and are you willing to pursue a heart that is full of ministry? Do you have a ministerial heart? Do you have a heart of ministry? Because he's about to give us five godly characteristics on how we can pursue that. And he gets right to the point in this verse with these fivefold godliness uh, characteristics. And in a nutshell, he just tells Timothy, be godly. That's what he could have said. He could have said, be godly, period. But I'm thankful that he expounded on it a little bit so that way we would have something to talk about and break apart. And basically what he says is, he starts off by saying, don't let anyone look less on you because you are young. But listen to this. This is the first thing that we're going to focus on. Be an example to all the believers in what you say. Now listen to what he just told him. There's going to be people who look down on you because your age. Don't let that get you down. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young, but instead be an example to all the believers in what you say. Now, the natural inclination of all of us in here, because we're humans, when somebody challenges our authority, when somebody looks down on us, when somebody says that, wait a minute, they call us out, man, the last thing that we probably run to is a spirit of godliness. In fact, a lot of us in our sinfulness if somebody calls us out, if somebody looks down on us, especially for our age, man, our first instinct is maybe to have some sarcastic comeback ready to sling right back at them. Maybe it's a clever insult that we already got in the clip because we know it's coming, all right? I serve with people. They say, man, I got a beard. You want to know why I got a beard? I got a beard because if I don't have a beard on my face, people think I'm 12 years old, and then they kind of look down on me. They kind of judge me, all right? They kind of say, I don't know if I even can listen to this guy. Well, here's the thing. Our inclination is not to be positive right off the bat, but instead maybe have some like reflexive, sarcastic comeback that we kind of throw back at their way. Or sometimes, man, we want to kind of become sort of presidential. You know, I'm the chief here. Okay, I'm the one under... And I'm the one in control. You need to listen, all right? Or, or I'm the man of the cloth, all right? Or, man, maybe we become holy above all, aloof, imperial, untouchable, august, and we poke out our chest and say, listen, because I said so, or we become aggrieved. How could anybody say something like that about such a nice person as I am? We have a little pity party. But to my young Timothys here today, and to my old Timothy's here today too, we can easily succumb to any kinds of those responses, but I want to challenge you not to. Because when we choose to go that route, you want to know what happens when we respond that way? Our ministry is 
the ministry. See, we have this great opportunity to still let Christ shine bright. But when we respond in that way, then our ministry is diminished. So Paul gives these fivefold prescriptions to godliness, which begins with the tongue. And he says, be an example to every believer in what you say. Now, sometimes if a minister gets himself in trouble, man, a lot of times it's because of something that he says. Man, it happens that way. Kind of sounds like my life. Sounds a lot like my elementary, my intermediate, my middle school, my high school years. Setting a lot of uh, teacher-parent conferences, and they started off with, did you know this guy likes to talk a lot? Yeah, they do, because they live with me. <laughs> they knew. They, that's why they sent me to school, all right, so they could get a break. <laughs> so welcome to their problem. But some of us talk too much, guys. Men, we're quick to talk, but we need to be quicker to listen. Men, people are always wanting to take, maybe talk to the pastor, and there's some pastors out there that, man, they just won't stop talking. They won't pause for anybody else to talk. They like to hear themselves talk. And so they never stop talking. They never do. do. And along with all that talk, because they don't stop, man, they, in, you know, inevitably, man, they say something that's not right. They say something that shouldn't be said. Man, some pastors are ecclesiastical gossips. Man, there's no secret that's safe with them. Man, Paul is saying, don't be this person, Timothy. Don't always be, a, you know, prying into, you know, trying to get those choice morsels of gossip and, and spinning that rumor mill and, and ingest it with a pious nod saying, man, it's good that you told me this. I'll put you on my prayer list. Let me share this with others and we will be praying when, when really, man, they're gossiping when they do so. Man, some of us have problems with the truth, maybe verification. And so Timothy is being coached up by Paul, and Paul is saying to, in the matter of godliness, man, it starts with the mouth. Set example for other believers in how you talk, in your speech, in what you say. Now, for the young people here, it's 2020, all right? And I understand that we communicate way more than just verbally, and we communicate digitally. And please don't fall into the trap that says, hey, I'm good, because I would never say these things out loud, or I'm okay, because I would never say these things in front of these people. However, man, we know that our texts don't line up with that. We know that the way that we communicate in secret doesn't line up with that, or on social does not line up with that. Let's not be two-faced. Paul continues to talk to Timothy. He says, Timothy, man, I know you're terrified, but be godly. And it starts with what you say. Man, I love the book of Proverbs. Man, if you need a Bible reading, just if you don't know where to start, man, take the Proverbs challenge. There's not a, a month in the, on the calendar year that has more than 31 days. And Proverbs has 31 chapters. And so, man, today, if you need somewhere to read, it's July 19th. Jump into the 19th chapter of Proverbs. And Proverbs are good for pastors. Proverbs are good for you and I. Proverbs are great. 
Men, here's a couple of them. It says, when words are many and sin is not absent, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut, Proverbs 10, 9. Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish, Proverbs 18, 13. A wise person is hungry for knowledge, while the fool feeds on trash, Proverbs 15, 14. The lips of the godly speak helpful words, but the mouth of the wicked speaks perverse words. Proverbs 10, 32. And those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything, Proverbs 13, 3. And we got to have godliness with our mouth if we're going to win. we got to have godliness with our mouth if we're going to continue to be an example for other believers. But it doesn't stop there. He says, Timothy, be an example to all believers in the way that you live. See, speech and life, they go together because they are observable conduct, both of them. You can hear what somebody says and you can see how they act. When he talks about life, he's talking about everything that happens throughout your day. Not just the big things, not just the important things. I Many he's talking about how you react even in public when you're pumping gas, when you're at the car wash, when you're standing in line at Starbucks, when you're at the grocery store, when, <clears throat> when you're on the sideline of the soccer game. And that's really where this is won or lost. It's not when you're on a stage. It's not when you're in the grand assembly. It's not when all eyes are on you. Man, it's even when no eyes are on you. Timothy, set an example for other believers in how you live. In addition to the observable speech and life, and, and I think we've been there. Man, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe this shows some transparency for you. But man, not every day is a great day, right? Sometimes we have a bad day. Sometimes we have that grumpy attitude. And so I went into a store, this is pre-mask, I went into a store and I wasn't very jovial. I wasn't very happy. I was probably impatient, but I was going to get something. But I wasn't going to talk to anybody. And the nice young lady that was ringing me up said, man, aren't you the pastor at that one church to the students, you know, over there across the street from Shalotsky's? What? Oh, man, you thinking of my brother? I, man, that guy, that's a top-notch dude. No. <laughs> Guys, man, hey, listen, Timothy's godly character starts with his mouth, but it goes with his actions. And then listen to where he transitions. Not just the observable speech in life, but Timothy's godly character is asked to shine and even the more abstract inner qualities. As Paul says, be an example to all believers in your love, your faith, and your purity. Church family, he's saying, be loving in every circumstance. That's so tough right now. Man, when I get on Facebook, man, my heart breaks. I don't see a lot of love. Man, I see a lot of complaining. I don't see a lot of grace. Man, I see a lot of judgment. And he's saying, man, in every aspect, show love in every circumstance. 
And this is shown to be true in your faithfulness, Timothy. And not just in your sexual purity, but also in your purity of all aspects of life. So you see right at the beginning, when Paul's giving advice to his shaky disciple, and he's stuck him in this crazy situation on Paul's apostolic chessboard where Timothy's going to be a bishop but probably felt like he was just a pawn in this game, but he says, Timothy, man, set an example for others and do so in these five things that can be summed up with one word, and that's godliness. He lets Timothy understand that leadership is a matter of character beginning from the beginning all the way to the end. That ministry is a character profession. That ultimately a godly life is what blunts others' criticisms. So he says, young Timothy, man, here's the first, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth thing, but in a note, it's just wrapped up, be godly. And that's a note that needs to be sung loud today in the culture of confusion that we live in. Godliness. Are you pursuing godliness, church? Brothers and sisters, there's a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost to living uncommon. And this cost is not a low bar cost, but instead this cost is high. But never forget that a high cost necessitates an even higher reward. We cannot beat God when it comes to giving. Whatever we give, he's going to max you out in return. And every demand that he requires on us is not merely some code to end our happiness, but it's actually to extend our happiness. Life is too short and God is too good for us to strive to live in any other way. And so Jesus is calling us to set an example in our speech in our life, in our love, in our faith, in our purity. He's calling you and he's calling me and he's calling us to love him even more than we love our family. And the reason why he calls us to do that is to protect our family from this idolatrous love of family first. He's calling us to set the bar high. And, and, and as a church, I want us to remember that when we put the first thing first, the second things, they're not suppressed, but instead they are increased. We become better husbands, we become better wives, we become better parents, we become better children, we become better employees, we become better neighbors as we become better disciples. It's not ultimately about our choices. God often uses our choices, but he even uses our bad choices to show us that he has chosen us and he has us placed right where he has placed us for a reason, even if it's just for a season. And so if you're a nurse, you're not just a nurse, you're God's nurse. Man, if you're an architect, you're not just an architect, you're God's architect. If you are a student, you're not just a student, you're God's student. If you're a lawyer, you're not just, well, I don't know if that still works for lawyers, but, but, but it doesn't matter. No matter what your profession is, it doesn't matter because you are that profession for God and for God first. 
We have to understand that sometimes we don't realize where we are. We don't understand that where we've been placed is by God. And so we miss the mission field because we're on a journey trying to find the mission field. But we don't have to look for the mission field because we're already been placed on the mission field. The problem is not that Christians aren't where they should be. The problem is that we are not what we should be where we are right now. The problem is not that we aren't where we should be. The problem is that we're not being what we should be where we are right now. So what should we be? The scripture clearly says we should be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way that you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. God has set this bar, but he set this bar high. And this high bar speaks to the fact that he is in a league all of his own. His all-by-himselfness. He's not at the top of the greatest list. He's the only name on the list. He isn't just great at times. He is great times infinity. Man, who can compare to God? Nobody can compare to God. You can't, I can't, she can't, they can't. God is the real G-O-A-T, the greatest of all time. Like it says in Jude, before all ages, now and forevermore. Glory is God's holiness shining for everyone to see. Are you showing God's glory? Are you being his example for other believers? Because the glory that we talk about is intrinsic. It means it's not like glory that flows, you know, out of us. It flows out of us because it flows out of him first. He gets it from himself. He doesn't need to get it from anybody else. He doesn't need to learn it. He doesn't need to, to, to go and work on it. He doesn't need to grow into it. He defines it. And anything that you can say is glorious, man, it's glorious because it's borrowed that glorious from God. And everyone else is just, their glory is learned. It's developed. It's temporary. It's limited. Our glory, church, it will fade. Beautiful young lady, your beauty is going to fade. Young athlete, your ability will fade. But God's glory will not fade. God's glory will go on forever. And the glory of God is his holy manifestation of his brilliance, of his beauty, of his wonder. And here's the kicker. Here's what I think is so great about this. Everything was created for that glory. You were created for that glory. I was created for that glory. The entire universe was created for that glory. Man, we were all created to be the manifestation of the brilliance of the beauty and the wonder of God. And to give God glory is not to give him something that he did not already have, but it's lining up with who he is. Your purpose is to live in a way that is an example for others in these five things so that you could live a life that is true and exemplifies the glory of God. We were made for God's glory. I'm going to close with this. I'm not a handyman. This is just a confession. Like, I'm not great with tools. I'm not Jay Beauchart, all right? I'm not great at fixing things. But I do know how to use duct tape. Can anybody relate? 
Man, I love duct tape. It comes in all different colors, all different lengths. And man, I can make some problems disappear if somebody gives me a roll of duct tape. I'll probably fix your car if you gave me enough duct tape and enough time. I don't know. Maybe I'm just feeling too confident. But years ago, I came across the origin of duct tape. Man, where did it come from? First of all, it's not D-U-C-K tape like it says on the road, all right? Man, its real name is D-U-C-T, duct tape. Like, it's made for air conditioner ducts. Duct tape was created to seal air conditioning units like the ones that are in the ceilings of our homes, and that's how it got its name. But as they ran tests on it, they found out that duct tape can be used for almost anything except sealing air-conditioned ducts. <laughs> duct tape can do all sorts of things except for the one thing that it was created to do. It can fulfill a bunch of different purposes, but it can't fulfill the one purpose for which it was actually created, thus betraying and making a mockery of the very name that we refer to it as. But the reason why I tell y'all that is I'm afraid that many Christians, we're becoming the duct tape of our society. We're good for all sorts of things except the one purpose that we were actually created for. Men, we're good for the Republican Party. We're good to ignore the vulnerable. We're good to worship individualism. I mean, we're good to fight the media. We're good to stand up against liberals. We're good for all kinds of things, but we forgot that the one thing that we were called to do, we forgot that the one name that we were given, and we forgot that that's the reason that we live, and that's to glorify that name, and that name is above every single other name. God is not waiting for us to reach a certain age, church. God is not waiting for us to reach a certain level of theological understanding, church. I mean, he's not waiting for us to reach a certain level of income to just be used by him, church. Church family, our value to God lies in our obedience, not our age, not our race, not our gender, not how much or how little we may or may not have. Despite all the shortcomings that we see in ourselves, we have the ability to confidently share Jesus' message with those around us. We have the ability, but are we willing to do so? We've been called to set an example. We've been called to set an example for the other believers. We've been called to not let people look down on us because we're young, but instead be an example for others in what we say, and how we live, and how we love, through our faith, and in our purity. Church family, that's our challenge. Will we accept the challenge? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray for anybody here that hears that challenge, but yet they have not accepted the most ultimate challenge, and that's to give their life to you. God, they're still thinking that they can do it on their own, but they don't realize, God, that not only do they need a Savior, God, they need a Lord. And so, God, we want to give that opportunity today, and so I want the people of our church to understand that there are elders making their way back to the commons, 
And if somebody needs to ask Christ into their life, if somebody needs to have a conversation about what it means to be a Christ follower, if somebody needs to have a conversation about what it means to plug into a church, what it means to, to, to break down church membership, there are men in the commons ready and willing to have that conversation. But God, if there's other brothers and sisters in this room that they know you, but they understand that they have not been living for you, maybe they haven't been an example to those other believers around, maybe their version of you has not been exemplified in their speech, in the way that they live, God, in the way that they love others, God, through their life, through their faith, and through their purity, God, I want to let them know that the altar is open. Man, they can come up to the altar. They can spend time in prayer. They can do so in their pew. Please take advantage, God. Please allow us to take advantage of this time that you've given us to reflect on the truth that you've given us today. God, hear our prayers because we need your help. We call out to you because we know that you hear us. And we ask all this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.